This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We promised, I believe, some weeks back we'd be returning to the topic of... uh beef production in this country, and we will do that in our second segment today, talking with John Wood, the founder of U.S. Wellness Meats, which does its best to not raise animals in confined spaces, feeding them corn, but rather uh, raises them on grass. Sounds like a pretty good alternative to concentrated animal feeding operations, which are our current uh, concentration camp type uh, methods of raising Uh, domestic beef and uh, that'll be an interesting topic you need to stay tuned for in our second segment today let's begin today's show as we like to do with on this date in history the date in question being the 29th of october the sun's height in the sky is about about what it is on valentine's day meaning that uh, between now and valentine's day is the dark part of the year Although things really go south when uh, we hit daylight savings time, at least if you like your afternoon sun, which, frankly, I do. And by the way, just as an aside, if any of you out there are interested in getting one of those atomic clocks that are supposed to keep track of what goes on throughout the year, well, I'd say don't do it because you may be able to hear this background noise right now. My, my clock is resetting itself. It went to daylight savings time a week early and... Apparently, it's trying to, trying to correct itself as we speak. <laughs> Just spinning around the dial, trying to find the correct time, apparently unsuccessfully. It usually takes about 24 hours for the clock to figure out what time it's supposed to be telling. You know, as much as we all like new and improved, there is a certain place for old and unimproved if it works fine. But I digress. It was on October 29th in the year 539 B.C. that Babylon, the greatest city of the ancient world, fell to Cyrus the Great of Persia. Cyrus uh, cut quite a figure in his day. Under his rule, the Persian Empire embraced all previous civilized states of the ancient Near East. Reportedly, Cyrus respected the customs and religions of the lands he conquered. But Wikipedia notes that Cyrus left an everlasting legacy in the art of leadership and decision-making. He attributed his success to the phrase, diversity in council, unity in command. And uh, the bulk of his empire, I suppose, still exists in modern Iran. On October 29th in 1618, Sir Walter Raleigh, the founder of the first English settlement in America and the man who introduced tobacco to the British Isles, was beheaded in London. No, it was not for introducing the British people to the evils of tobacco. It was for conspiring against King James I. Here's an odd one. On October 29th in 1872, an all-metal windmill was patented by one J.S. Risden of Genoa, Illinois. On this date in 1923, the Turkish Republic was proclaimed. I need to tell the story of Kemal Ataturk on this show, but it won't be today. This date in 1945, the first American ballpoint pen, which was an unauthorized knockoff of an invention by the Hungarian Laszlo Biro, went on sale for $12.95 and took in $100,000 for its cheating manufacturers. 
Two years later, on October 29th, 1947, American weather scientists doused a New Hampshire forest fire by seeding local cumulus clouds with dry ice to help produce rain. Something we now do here routinely in California every winter to try and increase the snowpack. Pentagon also did a lot of it during the Vietnam War to uh, try and slow down infiltration from the north by making it rain more. Anyway, the most famous thing that took place on this date was in 1929 when Black Tuesday hit Wall Street. Billions of dollars were lost that day and the rest of the industrialized world would spiral downward into the Great Depression. Thankfully, due to sensible regulations, that sort of thing would never repeat itself. By the way, I hope that uh, some of you caught the excellent program on PBS earlier this week about Herbert Hoover, a man whose name has forever been linked to the Great Depression, which he very definitely did not cause, but uh, just didn't manage very well, at least in terms of, um, well, in, in, in a lot of respects, actually. Curious to note that Hoover was our only engineer president and was, uh, by all accounts, back in 1928, the nation's most qualified man to be president. He was looked up to for his successes in many endeavors. But uh, there seems no denying it. He did not uh, manage the events of what became the Great Depression very well from 1929 to 1933. Of course, they pointed on the program that many people think of the Depression ending at the election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which was very definitely not the case. But the fact that Roosevelt came in and just inspired people and offered optimism... I guess you could argue in some respects, was the beginning of the end of the Great Depression. Our quote today comes from Winston Churchill, who said, Pessimists see failure in every opportunity. Optimists see opportunities in every failure. My apologies for the crappy Winston Churchill impression, but good sentiment. Our quote of the day comes from comic Stephen Wright, who said, You know, I'd kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Our stat of the day is 18 people, as in, that's the amount of waste produced by one cow. report in the New York Times earlier this month of Brown County, Wisconsin, noted that 41,000 dairy cows there produce as much as a million gallons of waste each day. Apparently the runoff from these animals contaminated more than 100 drinking wells and laid low dozens of people with stomach ailments and infections. One resident told the Times, sometimes it smells like a barn coming out of the faucet. Turns out there just isn't enough land to absorb that much manure, per a county spokesman who added, but we don't have laws to force people to stop. Well, we'll have more to say about that subject in our second segment. Our joke of the day is as follows. A farmer named Clyde had a car accident. In court, the trucking company's fancy pants lawyer was questioning Clyde. Didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine, asked the lawyer. Clyde responded, well, I'll tell you what happened. I just loaded up my favorite mule. I didn't ask for any details, the lawyer interrupted. Please just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Clyde said, well, now I just got my mule into the trailer and I was driving down the road. Lawyer said, judge, I'm trying to establish the fact that the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrol that he was just fine. Now, weeks after the accident, he's trying to sue my client. I believe this is fraudulent. Would you please direct him to answer the question? Judge turns to the lawyer and said, Well, you know, I'd like to hear what he has to say about his favorite mule. Clyde thanked the judge and went on. Well, 
like I was saying, I just loaded my favorite mule into the trailer, was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck ran the stop sign and smacked my truck into the side. I was thrown into one ditch and my mule got thrown into the other ditch. I was hurting real bad and didn't want to move, but I could hear my mule moaning and groaning. I knew she was in terrible shape. High patrolman came on the scene. He could hear old Bessie moaning and groaning, so he went over to her, looked at her in sorrow, fatal condition, took out his gun and shot her between the eyes. Go on, said the judge. Well, said Clyde. Then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand, looked at me and said, How are you feeling? Now I gotta ask you, Your Honor, what would you say? All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Apparently it was a good week a few weeks back for throwing in the towel when, during Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi's rambling and incoherent 95-minute speech to the UN, a Libyan translator (laughs) shouted, I can't take it anymore, and collapsed. Since he only made it 75 minutes into the speech, apparently a UN translator had to pick up where he left off. During this speech, Gaddafi demanded that Switzerland be dismantled and said swine flu had been engineered by drug companies to sell vaccines. Last week marked a bad week for naked barn dancing. Apparently a man here in Wilton, California, was upset after taking home video of a group called the Capitol Crossroads Gay Rodeo Association out at play. Apparently Monty Stanley's video shows the association conducting a naked barn dance. And he's shot footage showing that showing where dance contestants' names were called out as men's bare butts and frontal regions were exposed. Stanley said the night of the dance, his kids had neighborhood friends over for the night, and he said, I was sickened by seeing men on public display there in clear view of children. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Department says they're not sure this was a case of public indecent exposure. Although the video did capture naked dancing men, the question was... Could they be seen dancing naked from the roadway? And when that decision comes down, we'll be sure to pass it along. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Colin Chapman of Britain, whose wife Jenny was found by a sleep clinic to be the loudest snorer on record. Her snores reached a decibel level of 112. This is louder than noise from a spinning washing machine, a diesel truck, or... Reportedly, a low-flying jet. Mr. Chapman apparently has taken refuge in a separate bedroom. And I'm not sure this comes from the good, bad, and the ugly, as in bad and ugly, or from the only in America file, but we have this item. Last week, a Fresno prosecutor has refiled aggravated mayhem charges against two men accused of tattooing a gang sign on a seven-year-old boy. 
The Fresno DA's office filing came despite a judge's ruling that Enrique Gonzalez and Travis Gorman should face the lesser charge of cruel and inhuman treatment of a child. They pleaded not guilty and could face up to eight years in prison if convicted. Aggravated mayhem is usually associated with disfiguring beatings, shootings, and stabbings. It carries a possible life sentence. The prosecutor says Gonzalez held his son down against his will while Gorman inked a quarter-sized gang insignia on the boy's hip. The family, speaking in their defense, claims that the boy asked for the tattoo. God, just, just, just prosecute these guys. No, no, my seven-year-old asked for a gang tattoo. It's okay. What, did, did he ask for a gun, too? Why not give him a loaded pistol while you're at it? He asked for it. Now, there really ought to be a licensing uh, for parents, don't you think? All right, from the listener mail department, we have the following. At the end of last week's show, we asked for help in regards to Bob Berman's assertion that uh, a rainbow doesn't cast a reflection. Don responded by finding some further comments by Bob Berman uh, uh, outlining uh, his remarks, which are as follows. They're writing that a rainbow cannot cast its reflection. Some say they've seen rainbows and reflections and wonder if I'm wrong or if I meant something else. No, it's true. You cannot see a rainbow and the reflection of that rainbow. If you and I look at a car, we both see the same object. But a rainbow is a specific set of reflections and refractions within water droplets that appear on the surface of a cone whose radius is 42 degrees, whose orientation is the anti-solar point from your eye and your eye alone. An apparent rainbow reflection in a mirror or lake is that of a different rainbow. Well, yeah, 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 there's a lot less here than meets the eye. If two people are standing side by side looking at a rainbow, they're not looking at the exact same rainbow. The reflections coming into person A's eyes are a little bit different than the reflections coming back into person B's eyes. Once as a kid in the Bay Area, a bunch of us tried to chase a rainbow over some flat land, which is quite interesting. As we ran in the direction of the rainbow, it did seem to move and... and uh, move away from us, which, of course, it was doing because it was a different set of droplets further down the road reflecting from the first set. Anyway, he is backpedaling a bit. In the original article in, uh, in Astronomy Magazine, Berman said, As we all know from horror movies, vampires don't have a reflection in a mirror. Neither do rainbows. Well, not exactly. Anyway, I want to thank Don for this. He did note in his email that if you look at a rainbow and move your head a little, like put it where the mirror would be, the light you'd see would be coming from a different part of the sky, so it's a different rainbow. But Berman just said that in a way that made a big deal out of nothing. I still like him, though. He's a good columnist, and I still have no answer about this coincidence of Alpha Centauri and our sun being twin stars. Very curious. And then we want to thank uh, Peter for his uh, humorous email, <laughs> noting that uh, I knew the economy was really getting bad when... One, Motel 6 told me they won't leave the light on anymore. Two, Beverly Hills parents are firing their nannies and learning their kids' names. He knew the economy was really getting bad when McDonald's started selling a one-quarter ouncer. Also, when it was revealed that ExxonMobil had to lay off 30 congressmen. 
Yeah, Peter said he knew the economy was really getting bad when he saw the CEO of his company playing miniature golf. His bank returned a check marked insufficient funds, and he had to ask, mine or yours? Yeah, he knew the economy was getting bad when he started getting pre-declined credit, card, credit cards in the mail. But uh, my personal favorite, Peter knew the economy was really getting bad when he ordered a burger, and the kid at the counter asks, can you afford fries with that? Anyway, uh, you may have noticed that uh, there's a bit of a feud going on between the Obama administration and Fox News. Well, a feud isn't exactly the right word. I think it's more like the fact that uh, Obama is correctly identifying the fact that uh, Fox really is a branch of the opposition party. But uh, I know Will Durst has a thing or two to say about that, and why don't we let him uh, do what he does best? Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to applaud President Obama for not curling up into a fetal position with a kick-me sign taped to his butt. You know, like a Democrat. He's taking it straight to Fox News, calling them radical and out of the mainstream, making them as upset as a preacher at a whorehouse with a parishioner working the door. Because that's exactly what they say about him. Sounds like one of those condition-out-but-not-take-it sort of deals. Another charge being leveled by conservative commentators is the president is exhibiting extreme partisanship, totally ignoring his campaign promises to be a uniter, not a divider. Oh, wait, that that wasn't him. That was the other guy. (laughs) Sorry. I guess those right-wing talk show guys expected him to pull a John Kerry, who, while being swift-boated in August of 04, spent the entire month on his back looking for a big old tummy rub. You know, like a Democrat. Obviously, Barack is trying to marginalize his critics and paint the GOP as a wee bit of a sliver of a party, chock full of white southern ditto heads and flippo units, portraying his enemies as extremists, a method perfected by one Rush Limbaugh. But refusing to appear on Fox News does seem to fly in the face of his stated policy to talk to everyone, which he does. Iran, Hamas, North Korea, Syria, everyone, apparently, except Rupert Murdoch. This is a tricky game he's playing here. you got to be awful careful when you poke the cobra. Fortunately, he's got the long, pointy sticks of David Axelrod and Rahm Emanuel to do most of the extended work. He should keep in mind, though, some advice my father always gave me. Never get in a fight with an ugly person. He's got nothing to lose. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always a pleasure to have Mr. Durst on board. Anyway, we're talking about Fox, so before we go to break, it should note uh, we should note the following statistic. According to a poll released last week, just 57% of Americans think there's solid evidence the world is getting warmer, which is down 20 points in three years. Noted Dinah Capiello writing in the AP, the steepest drop has occurred during the past year, as Congress and the Obama administration have taken steps to control heat-trapping emissions for the first time, 
and international negotiations for a new treaty to slow global warming have been underway. Noted the article, at the same time, there's been mounting scientific evidence of climate change from melting ice caps to the world's oceans hitting the highest monthly recorded temperatures this summer. Noted Andrew Weaver, professor of climate analysis at the University of Victoria in British Columbia, politics could be drowning out scientific awareness. He said, quote, it's a combination of poor communication by scientists, a lousy summer in the eastern U.S., people mixing up weather and climate, and a full-court press by public relations firms and lobby groups trying to instill a sense of uncertainty and confusion in the public. Curiously, while three-quarters of Democrats believe the evidence of a warming planet is solid, 57% of Republicans say there's no solid evidence of global warming, up 31% from 2007. Wow. Anyway, we need a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. Cause I need to move. I need to wake up. I need to change. I need to shake up. I need to speak out. Something's got to break up. I've been asleep. as a child I danced like it was 1999 My dreams were wild The promise of this new world would be mine